A rooster can get you in trouble. Turn with me to Mark 14, would you? A rooster can get you in trouble. Now, the <clears throat> have you ever been just really disappointed with yourself, with a decision you made, with an action you took? With a, have you ever said some of those words and you just wished as they left your mouth that you could capture them and bring them back? Have you ever been disappointed with God? I think we all have one time or another, probably, haven't we? Now, we're going to study a little bit today in Mark 14 about the Apostle Peter. Uh, this is one of the most famous, really, stories of Peter's life. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it doesn't paint him in a very flattering light. But it's important that we study it anyway. Peter's best intentions of exhibiting faithfulness to Jesus fell apart in a moment of crisis. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. In, in 586, Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians, and the people of the southern kingdom of Judah found themselves from then on, really, in dire straits. From then on, the Jews were subjected to the whims of evil rulers and foreign powers, one biblical account, if you remember, certainly, is the account of Daniel who survived a lion's den when he refused to pray to Darius, the king of Persia. So you had the Persians, the Babylonians, the Persians, uh, eventually the Romans uh, in Jesus' day. Persecutions for faith continued well into the first century A.D. and beyond. So when we get to Mark's gospel, <clears throat> um, Two trials of, of persecution kind of stand out. Uh, and they happen simultaneously, interestingly, in, in Mark 14. One is the most famous, in, I, would, I would believe, the most uh, famous and the most official trial in all of uh, legal history. It's the trial of Jesus of Nazareth. Certainly it starts in the court of the high priest and it ends up in the courtroom of a Roman magistrate. The other one was more of an unofficial trial. Um, the unofficial one was that of the bystanders' confrontation of Peter while proceedings against Jesus were underway. I think it's interesting that these two trials, one official, one in a courtroom, and one out in a courtyard, were happening at the same time. You and I know that Peter had a rooster problem. I, I, by the way, flirted with, about Tuesday, flirted with finding, Ed, I think, could have helped me with this, bringing a rooster with me to church. And I just thought, Marty wouldn't like it if I brought him in the sanctuary. He would mess up the new pews. So, yeah. Uh, but thought about it. So just think about it. If we had a rooster up here and he was crowing the whole time we were here. That, that, anyway, maybe that's a suggestion. Now, I want us to go to verse 26 in Mark 14. Bob, can I get you to read 26 down through 31? Three times. 
Okay, now they're in the feet. They're beginning. This is the first day, the beginning day. It's Thursday of Holy Week. Okay, so it, it, it coincides with this coming Thursday, this year. Uh, it is the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember, we studied that several weeks back, right? It's the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is literally the Passover meal that they're eating, um, and they have eaten that. Uh, if you look at 14.12, same chapter, look back up at verse 12. It says, on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to get and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So this is the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that uh, includes the Feast of Passover, which is one day, the unleavened bread is a week, and uh, you remember that, two, two Sabbaths, all that kind of stuff. This is beginning that. They eat the Passover, they eat the Passover meal, okay? Uh, by the way, this happens on the first day of a feast is what goes there. Uh, they eat the Passover meal, and then they do something interesting, but interesting probably only to us. Uh, it was traditional for them. It says they sing a hymn. Now, just so you know, so you know, uh, traditionally they would sing the last four of what are known as the Hallel Psalms, okay? That's not a kryptonite reference, okay? Uh, Hallel, not Kalel. Hallel Psalms, which are, which are Psalms 113 to 118, and they would typically sing, sing at the end of Passover together as a family. They would join hands or gather in some way, and they would sing 115 through 118, okay? Hallel Psalms 113 through 118, so if you want to do something really spiritual this Thursday, okay, you will sing or chant or read out loud maybe Psalm, uh, Psalm 115 through 118. And you can think this is what Jesus did on the last Thursday of his human life before he went to the garden. So if, you, if you're reading the story, he, uh, they sing the hymn together at the end of the Passover meal. I put in my, my notes, this is for probably nobody in here is going to get this, but they did not sing Oceans. Okay, never mind. Uh, there, there's a lot of social media talking about Oceans. They didn't sing Oceans, okay. Um, but they sang the Hallel Psalms, and then they took a long walk, probably a mile or so walk. Couldn't have been much more than that because they weren't allowed to. But... Uh, they walk, it would have been about a mile walking to the Mount of Olives, eventually to the Garden of Gethsemane, and you know some of that story. So, if you want to do something really spiritual this uh, Monday Thursday, you might um, read or chant, read out loud, read with whoever you're with together, Psalm 115 through 118, and then take a mile's walk. Uh, that's what Jesus did. And then pray all night. That, that's what ensued that he did. Look at 1432. Look at 32, which is not part of our lesson today. He came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I prayed. So that's what he was doing. This is where he was headed. headed. He's arrested from there, if you remember that part of the story. Now, in verse 27, on this long walk, on this one-mile walk, with the 12, they've just eaten the Passover meal together. You know, they're kind of full of uh, food. 
and uh, they're having a little walk after that. That's not a bad idea, but this one's for an entirely different purpose. They're on the way for Jesus to pray at the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus begins to talk to them, and the words are in red in verse 27. He begins to talk to them, and he's going to prophesy something, that there is a test on the way. There's a test on the way. One which they will initially fail. Now, John, can I get you to go to Zechariah 7? I figure you're enough of a scholar where you can figure out where Zechariah is. And if not, look in the table of contents. That's what I would do. Uh, by the way, it'll help you if anybody's looking. The, the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. Zechariah is right before that. So Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, going back left. Kind of, Zechariah 7, we're going to read a couple of verses. Uh, 13, I'm sorry, out of Zechariah. Um, as they walk, Jesus says there's a test coming. This is no normal Passover, he tells them. And he says, initially you're going to fail the test. Now, how would you like for a teacher to tell you this? <laughs> Did it happen to you a lot, Ellie? <laughs> I'm sorry, just heard you say it. You're going to have a test. I'm given a test, and you're going to fail it. You know, it's not very encouraging, is it? But this was no normal Passover. This was no normal test. And so uh, he says a test is coming. Now, interestingly, he begins to quote here from uh, the prophet Zechariah 13.7. John, you got that one? Now, what I want you to catch, because he skipped a verse, because I wanted him to. It says, the sheep will scatter when the shepherd is gone. And then he skips a verse, and by verse 7 it says, but you know what? You're going to be tested by fire, and you're going to be okay. You're going to come out of it okay. Now, I want you to go with me, if you will. You're in Mark. Go, go over two or three books to the book of Acts. And I want you to go with me to Acts 4. Because the truth is, they failed the initial test, but passed the final. Okay? Uh, four, and I'm going to go to verse 18. Here it is. When they had summoned them, this is the, the, uh, the uh, officials in Jerusalem. When they had summoned them, this is after the resurrection. This is after the day of Pentecost. When they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. They may have not passed this test, but according to Zechariah 13, 7, they weren't going to. According to Zechariah 13, 9, They'll be tested and tried and found faithful. And eventually they were. That's the rest of the story here. Okay, now. But they'll initially fail. In verse 28, Jesus adds his own prophecy to this prediction. Now look at it one more time. 
After I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, I find it's really interesting. I put three other references in here. Four times in the book of Mark, Jesus just hints at this. He does more than hint at it. This is more than a hint, but somehow they miss it. That something is going to happen after, first of all, he's predicting his own death, right? What else is he predicting here in, in uh, verse 28? He's going to rise again, okay? So put the word prophecy in your blank there. Remember Matt's sermon series that he is a prophet, not just a priest, not just a king. He's also a prophet, and he's predicting something about himself. Is this an easily self-fulfilling prophecy that I'll rise again from the dead? Huh-uh. You know? Have you seen Risen? We went Friday night. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing a commercial for it, but I liked it. It's interesting how they present the risen Christ. He's predicting here, through much of his earthly ministry, I'm going to be put to death. They pass that off a lot. And he also says, I'm going to rise again. And that they just really don't get is the idea. Maybe the shepherd will be slain and the sheep will be scattered, but the shepherd will rise again. And he says to them something really interesting here that I didn't catch till kind of this week, and it was illustrated real well in the movie we saw Friday night. He said, I'll meet you, we'll meet up again in Galilee. What happens in Galilee? That's going to be really important to the guy that's got the rooster problem. He gets restored in Galilee. By the Sea of Galilee, while they're having a breakfast of fish, and Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? You remember that whole deal? That's in Galilee. Jesus predicts that right here. I'm, I'm going to rise again, and we'll get together again in Galilee. Now, he meets with them in Jerusalem, too. But what happens in Galilee is all important. It's really important. I, I better never miss the words in red. Can you imagine having lived with him for three and a half years? And missed that four times in Mark's gospel. And it's in the other gospels as well. But at least four times in Mark's gospel. He says, I will be put to death and I will rise again. And yet they were scratching their heads when it happened. Don't miss the words in red, Bob. Oh, I think you're right. I think it was squirrel. You know, I think it was that, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, th I do think that, yeah. Now, in verse 29, Peter makes his own prediction. What is it? Say it again, Fred. Hey, the rest of these guys, they may fall away, not this old boy. Okay? He makes his own prediction here. Uh, he's always outspoken. And he says, no way, not me. Look at, look at Matthew 16. Go back to the left just a little bit. Matthew 16, 22. It's a, in a parallel telling of this same story. Actually, it's not the same story, but it, it's another time when, when Peter says, in 16, 22, Peter took him, Jesus aside, and rebuked Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Uh, he was talking about his death. No, that's not going to happen. Here again, he's impetuous. He's out front. He says, not this rubber duck. 
I haven't said that in a long time. You say that, not this little gray duck. I used to say that occasionally. And Peter says, not this old boy. The rest of these guys, maybe, but not me. Not me. By the way, be careful when you make that kind of claim. <laughs> you know? Now, Jesus comes back in verse 30. What does he say Peter will do? You're going to deny me. And the signal will be the rooster. Now, by the way, Mark does an interesting thing. Look at verse 72. Somebody read verse 72. Same chapter. This is a long chapter. Verse 72. Somebody read it. In Mark's gospel, it's the only time that it mentions that the rooster crows twice. There's a double reminder. I find that really interesting here. A double crowing only in Mark. Now, in the word that he uses here, in, in verse uh, 30, the word that the Lord uses to, to identify what Peter's going to do, uh, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me. Now, that word deny is the word in Greek, renounce. It's the same word in 834. So if you want to turn back a couple of pages, 834, where Jesus is talking about discipleship, and he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Same word. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. Now, so it seems to me, that Peter has two choices. To deny himself and affirm Jesus as the Christ. Or, I guess, he could deny Christ and affirm himself. Don't we all have kind of that choice? Uh, we've got it initially, don't we? And we've got it day by day, I think. Am I going to deny me and follow him? Or am I going to deny him and follow my own way? I think we're in that crucible almost every day. Maybe your life is not like mine, but it kind of happens that way with me. Peter and you have has two choices. Either I deny myself or I can deny him. That's the word. Renounce. And Peter's reply is, the, the best word I could come up with is the word fervent, F-E-R-V-E-N-T. Peter's reply is fervent. Uh, really, in the, in the book of Mark and in all the New Testament, uh, this uh, word um, emphatically that, is, that Mark puts in the gospel, but keep, Peter kept saying insistently or emphatically in the NIV, that is a hypox. I've, I've used that word with you before. That means that word is only used once in all the New Testament. It's used right here. Emphatically, intentionally, uh, out loud, um, insistently, the, the New American Standard says. Now, by the way, hadn't thought about this until this week. Peter is carrying 
a sword. The only one in the crew, as far as I know, carrying a sword. How do we know that? He cuts a guy's ear off that night. Okay. Um, could it be that he is emboldened? John, I'm not picking on you. Could it be that he's emboldened because he's got his shirt tucked out and he's got a gun? Okay, you know what? Could it be? I don't know. Could it be? He's emboldened by the fact that he's armed. Got a little false bravado going on. You know what we call this? Hubris. You ever heard that word? Hubris? Not hummus. That's something else. It's made out of chickpeas, and I really don't get the attraction to it. Ralph, they don't serve hummus at Sonic, do they? Tell me, please. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everywhere I go now, people are ordering hummus, and I'm thinking, what is the deal with hummus? This is not hummus. This is hubris. That's a different thing. Now, according to history... Uh, Hubris is a type of pride that ultimately results in a person's downfall. According to history, uh, quite often, people suffering from this condition have kind of a sense of invincibility. Uh, they're in positions of power, maybe, that only can perpetuate detachment from reality. They, review, they, they view reasonable boundaries with contempt. They violate even maybe moral codes like it's no big deal because they don't think it applies to them. A prime example is Al Capone. Al Capone uh, died in 1947 at the age of 48. His success at being a criminal uh, only served to reinforce this sense of being above accountability and above the law. He always managed to kind of stay one step ahead of the law. Even when he was finally brought to trial for tax evasion, he was confident that his organization's efforts at bribing the jurors would allow him to skate free. But Capone, although with hubris, was convicted. The rooster finally crowed. Peter had hubris. Now, we're going to read on. Okay? Going to go to verse 66. Would somebody read 66 down to 72 so we can see what happened here? We're jumping ahead. Skipping the Gethsemane portion here. Somebody read 66 down through 72. No takers. Okay, now I'm going to have to get us ahead here a little bit. 
Would somebody go to Matthew 26 and be prepared to read verse 72 and 73? Looking for a volunteer. Thank you, Sally. Uh, Matthew 26, 72 through 73. And then Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. John, would you get that one? Uh, I saw a hand back here. Would you get Luke 22, 61? Okay, we'll be there in just a minute. Now, here's the here's scenario. Jesus is on trial. We fast forward. Jesus is on trial before Caiaphas, the, the current high priest, and a, um, a servant of the high priest. Peter's outside in the courtyard. A servant of the high priest confronts Peter, who I would call at this point a servant of Jesus. Now think about that. A servant of the high priest has confronted a servant of Jesus. How should this go? The opposite of how it did go. A servant of the high priest, a fake, okay? He's a political priest, not a real priest. Okay, he's got the power, but he's a fake. Politically connected, but he's kind of a fake. A servant of his, a girl, sorry ladies, a girl, confronts a servant of the most high God. A follower of Jesus Christ. It shouldn't go this way. What's Peter doing when he's confronted? I, I, I just there's a little play on words here. There, have you ever heard the term yeah, he was warming himself by the enemy's fire? This is kind of where it comes from. Peter is warming himself. He's comforting himself. He's worried. Now, in verse 68, as this servant says, hey, you were with him. You're one of his guys. Peter, Peter feigns ignorance. What does he say? I don't know. He feigns ignorance. Don't you think about what you're talking about? Um, leave me alone. He's caught off guard. He basically says what my cute little six-year-old granddaughter will often say um, for a different reason. She'll say, what? <laughs> what? Now, and he goes on with it. Here's, here's my advice to you. If you're going to lie, use, a, use an economy of words. Peter uses too many words here. They ever work, with every word he adds, it gets him more in trouble. If you're going to lie, use less words. Okay? A second accusation follows. It, it calls others in. The, the woman says, hey, did, did you saw him to people around there. Peter goes to a different place. Hey, you saw him, right? And then by verse 70, Peter has talked more than he should have talked definitely, and he's had because of his accent. Now, uh, in fact, they'll say right here, they'll say, you're a Galilean, and how they know that is because of how he talks. Uh, in a parallel telling of this, uh, who's got Matthew 26? Read, Sally, read verse 72 and 73. His accent gave him away. You're from Galilee. You're not from Judah. And he kind of offers then up an oath. By verse 71, Peter says, I'm going to read it to you again. Verse 71, um, 
Peter knows he's kind of been had here. And in verse 71, he says, he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man you're talking about. Come on. This is his best friend. Can, can I just say that? Uh, he might say, oh, you know, uh, I may have met him once, or, but I don't know anything about him. He doesn't even, he's too ashamed to even mention Jesus' name. He's on a downward spiral here. Who's got Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33, John? That's in red. I don't even need to comment on that. Either we acknowledge him, if we want to be acknowledged when the time comes. Well, what happens next in verse 72 is infamous. It will cause Peter's remorse. Hubert, did you sing, um, did you sing John Peterson cantatas back in the day? Remember the old song, His Wonderful Look of Love? It doesn't come here, but it comes in Luke 22. Somebody read Luke um, 2261. Read the first part of that again. That's enough. The Lord looked at him. He saw him. They locked eyes for a second, and the rooster crowed. Now, it's not over for Peter. There will be a Galilee. I'm grateful for that. You know, there's going to be a Galilee. What you need to put in your line there is when you're in a trial, where is God? I want to submit to you that when you're on trial, he's on trial too. Okay? He gets it. He's done the trial thing, understands that, and came through it in stellar fashion. He came through it in such a way that his accuser, the only Roman in charge in, in that courtroom scene, was able to say at the end of his trial, he was able to say about your Jesus, I don't find any fault in this man. He stood the test. So when you're in trial, where is he? He's with you. He knows all about trials. The question is, where is your faith? It's not over for Peter. There's going to be a Galilee. There will be an empty tomb, which will mean a second chance for Peter to confess. And he's going to have to say it three times. I love you. You know I love you. Oh, Lord, you know I love you. He'll get to reconfess. So, here's how we're going to end for today. When your rooster crows, will you trust him? When you know you're had, will you trust him? Or will you cut and run? We've all been there, I think. I don't want to go back there. When your rooster crows, Will you trust him? Or, when your rooster crows, will you just have the presence of mind 
and the depth of faith, at least this much faith. Remember that I believe helped out my unbelief? Well, you have enough faith to just say, when, you're, when you hear the crucer crow for the second time, okay, Lord, I I hope you have a wonderful holiday week. Um, please think about him. Pray to him. Listen to his voice this week. In all the events that you may uh, avail yourself of this week, they're designed for you to think about your faith and for you to be able to say, as you look at the cross, I believe. Be back in here in Mark 16. Two weeks from today, okay? So yeah, happy Easter.